Hey there, it's Zach from the Barry Heart of It podcast presented by Bariatric Fusion. And today we have a fantastic topic, one that we get asked about a lot here, which is weight regain. And we are joined by Carly Burridge, who is a nationally recognized expert in obesity medicine. She's a physician's assistant and fellow of the Obesity Medicine Association and earned the Certificate of Advanced Education in Obesity Management. Carly has been working in obesity management, both surgically and non-surgically since 2012. During this time, she has developed several medical obesity programs in a variety of healthcare settings. She's even the co-author of the Obesity Algorithm and serves on the board of trustees for the Illinois Obesity Society. She is also the co-founder and president of the PAs in Obesity Medicine. Carly has received multiple awards from the Obesity and Medicine Association for her work in expanding the field of obesity medicine and furthering obesity education for healthcare providers. Carly is the founder of GainingHealth.com, which she developed to provide resources and support for healthcare providers who want to incorporate obesity medicine into their medical practice. She has authored a book on developing an obesity medicine program and provides numerous additional tools for obesity program development through her website. Her mission is to increase the availability of science-based, compassionate obesity treatment to all individuals whose health is impacted by obesity. Welcome, Carly and Amy. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Um, Zach. Hey, Amy. (laughs) Awesome topic today. We're going to be talking about weight regain. And I know a lot of our listeners have questions about this or a lot of bariatric patients see some regain over time post-bariatric surgery. I myself, sleeve patient, I actually had regain. I've been fortunate enough to lose the regain and go below my lowest point myself. So I know it's possible to overcome. But Carly, you're the expert in this area. So why don't you start with kind of telling our listeners what regain is simply. Yeah. And you know, that sounds like a simple enough question, right? Like (laughs) what's regain? What do we consider weight regain or weight recidivism as sometimes as it's referred to? Actually, there is no standard definition for this. And that makes it a little bit difficult when we talk about like what percentage of patients experience weight regain and at what point should we be concerned about weight regain? Because there is no standard definition. So it makes it a little tricky, but Some of the definitions that are used sometimes is like, one is if BMI increases by five points over the lowest BMI. Let's say you got down to a BMI of 35 and your BMI increased back up to a 40. That would be considered regain. Other people use a 10 kilogram, so that would be about 22 pounds of weight regain above the lowest weight. They consider that significant weight regain. And others use different standards. Like some will say if somebody had lost more than 50% of their excess body weight or about 20% of their total body weight and then regain to where they now no longer have lost that 50% or 20% total body weight loss, they would consider that regain. So because there's no standard definition, it's hard to really put a number on it. You'll see numbers anywhere from about like 20% of bariatric surgery patients experience weight regain and other numbers say 70%. So it really kind of depends on what definition you use. But I would say on average, most of the people report around that 30% of patients regain significant weight after bariatric surgery. 
So that makes it a little tricky because there's not a real clear definition. That's definitely tricky, but really interesting. It is. So Carly, when do we typically see regain occur? So it's different for different people, right? And for some people, they'll start to see it after they've kind of reached their lowest weight. And for most people, again, depending on their surgery and depending on their journey, that's usually around maybe 12 to 18 months after surgery is kind of when they reach their lowest weight. And at that time, we start to see with some people that their weight does slowly start to regain. Now, a little bit of weight regain after that lowest point, like maybe five to 10 pounds is fairly normal for everybody. But, you know, if people continue to regain at that point and don't sort of find a new stable weight, they continue to regain, that's when it can be a problem. And so we can start to see that around 12 to 18 months for some people. And for other people, it doesn't happen till much later. So it really depends on what's triggering that weight regain. So sometimes it might be a major life event or something that happens. So somebody's been doing great and they've been maintaining their weight for, you know, five years or something, and then something happens. So they have a job change or they move or there's a death or an illness in the family, or sometimes even a good thing like the birth of a child or just some major life event that kind of throws their routine upside down. And I think the pandemic is a perfect example of something that has happened to a lot of people that just totally kind of turned their routine upside down. And one thing I do want to mention too, when we talk about regain, sometimes we hear the word failure. And we say some people fail their surgery or the bariatric surgery was a failure. And I want to be really, really careful about using that word failure because it implies that the patient failed when in fact the patient didn't fail. You know, obesity is a very complex chronic medical condition and surgery is not a cure. It's one of the tools that we have. It's the most effective tool that we have but it's not a cure. And it's just like if somebody had cancer and they had surgery to remove the cancer, that doesn't mean that that cancer can't ever come back or that they're completely cured. Some people might need additional treatment. So in the cancer example, they might need chemotherapy or radiation or be on an oral medication to help keep their cancer in remission. And so it's really important that we think about obesity the same way And that if somebody is struggling or having some weight regain, that they realize that this is not their fault. Obesity is a complex medical condition and you might just need additional tools. So I just wanted to point that out real quick too. I think you covered something right there that people tend to often gloss over is obesity isn't like a one size fits all thing. And everyone's experience with it is a little bit different. And we have to remember that there are a lot of tools to manage it. And I'm with you 110% to avoid that word failure on the side of the patient, because often there are many factors that go into it. So, and I know you kind of covered some of them with when we see it occur in life events, but do you have any other thoughts on what are the biggest kind of causes of regain amongst patients, maybe even behaviors? Yeah. I mean, Like we said, obesity is very complex and the reasons for weight regain are numerous. So behaviors, we'll talk about that in a second. But I think before we talk about behaviors, I think it's important to recognize that there are biologic changes that are occurring that start to occur around that 12 to 18 months after surgery. And one of that is hormonal changes. So we know that one of the reasons, one of the most important reasons 
how bariatric surgery works is that there's a change in hormones. So with bariatric surgery, we see a decrease in those hunger hormones, those hormones that tell us that we're hungry. And we see an increase in those satiety hormones, that hormones that tell our brain that we're full. And so it's not just the fact that the surgery creates a smaller stomach or may reroute the intestines and cause malabsorption. That's part of it. But a big part of it is those hormonal changes. And I think a lot of people notice this after they've had surgery is they're not hungry, right? And that has to do with those hormonal changes. And over time, those hormonal changes become less pronounced. So you start to see some of these hunger hormones start to go back up and some of these satiety hormones go back down. So you see a hormonal change over time that drives appetite. So I think it's so important that we don't lose sight of the biology. So that's one. And then another thing, a second thing that happens is structural changes happen with the surgery, right? We know that over time, that stomach pouch does start to increase a little bit in size. It stretches a little bit. The stomach is a stretchy organ. It's meant to stretch. So with time, a lot of patients will notice that they can eat larger volumes of food. And so it's really important that as we notice that change, that we're, first of all, that we're very aware of that change. And when we start to notice that we can eat a little bit more in one sitting, then we have to adjust our nutrition. So like, while right after surgery, you might have needed to eat six times a day in order to be able to meet your protein requirements, as your pouch gets a little bit bigger and stretches a little bit, you need to adjust your nutrition. So if you can eat more in one sitting, then you probably need to eat less frequently. So maybe from going six times a day, maybe you go to four times a day or maybe even three times a day, depending on how much you can eat in one sitting and depending on what you need to do to get your protein requirements. And then there's other structural things that can happen with the surgery as well, especially if somebody's had a Roux-en-Y gastric bypass, for instance, they can develop what's called a gastrogastric fistula, which is basically where you start to have a connection between that stomach pouch that's supposed to get bypassed and your new stomach, which then means that you're now no longer bypassing that part of the stomach. The food is actually going through there. So you'll notice that all of a sudden you can eat a lot more. So if you've had a gastric bypass and you notice that all of a sudden, like you can eat a lot more volume and you're not getting full like you used to, you should follow up with your surgical team. Again, this is fairly rare, but that can be another reason for weight regain. And then some of the other things like you talked about are just nutritional changes. Sometimes it's kind of getting back into old habits. Sometimes people are kind of trying to test their surgery, if you will. They start to say, well, let's see, I know I'm not really supposed to eat ice cream or not really supposed to eat these certain foods, but let me see what happens if I start to incorporate some of these foods again. And then maybe they eat it and they say, well, I didn't get sick. That's good. And so then they start reincorporating some of these foods that they hadn't been eating right after surgery that really aren't benefiting their health at all. These are foods that they should be staying away from, but they start to kind of test that. So be careful if you find yourself testing your surgery. But then another thing too, is I start to see carbohydrates coming in more frequently around that time. People have kind of lost their weight. They're relaxing a little bit on their nutrition changes and they're starting to add back in some of the carbohydrates. And one thing that they found, a recent study showed that up to 54% of patients after a Roux-en-Y gastric bypass experience something called post-bariatric hypoglycemia 
where they'll actually get these big lows in their blood sugar. So they'll eat a carbohydrate, their blood sugar will go up, but because of their surgery, they get a much bigger insulin response than they should. And then that drives their blood glucose way down like an hour or two after they eat those carbohydrates. And that makes you really hungry when you get one of those low blood sugar episodes. So then they want to eat something to get their blood sugar back up and they end up on this blood sugar roller coaster. So they're just chasing their blood sugar. And then they can get into these maladaptive eating patterns like grazing or this increased frequency of eating and snacking just because they're chasing their blood sugar. So I think it's really important that people try to stick to the nutrition plan that helped you lose the weight to begin with. You have to continue that. It's not like you lose the weight and then you go back to your old ways because we know what happens if we do that. So making sure that people are watching that, especially the carbohydrates. And then I would say lastly, from a behavioral point of view too, is physical activity. A lot of times people think that physical activity is necessary to lose weight, when actually we know the studies show that physical activity is not very effective for weight loss, but it's very effective for weight maintenance. So to keep that weight off long-term. And again, studies show that only about 10 to 24% of post-bariatric patients are meeting the physical activity guidelines of 150 minutes of physical activity a week, which is like 30 minutes a day. So I would say during the weight maintenance phase, when you're trying to keep that weight off, it's super important that you're integrating physical activity, especially strength training too, so that you're not losing that muscle mass when you have that rapid weight loss early on. So yeah, I'd say those are a lot of the lifestyle things that can affect weight regain as well. Yeah, no, I certainly agree with you that there are multiple factors. And I think a lot of people forget about the biological aspects of it. Like I know me personally, like I was not hungry at all post-surgery. And like now I have a little bit of that hungry feeling, but like sometimes I still also have to remind myself to eat. So it's like, it's a balance, but I know I'm four years post-op now. It's a more prevalent now than it was four years ago, if you will which I guess leads us into kind of like our part two here of like developing an action plan. Amy, what are your thoughts? Yeah. So, I mean, this is all super interesting and I've learned a lot so far, but I guess what can be done to kind of combat the regain or the beginning stages of even the regain? Yeah. So I can kind of tell you a lot of times that the kind of steps that I talk about with my patients, when I'm done talking, I'd also love to hear kind of what you did, what helped you kind of lose that weight that you regained and even go lower than the weight that you initially were after surgery, which is remarkable. We don't hear that that often. We see it sometimes, but so I'd love to pick your brain too. But kind of what I talk about with patients is first thing is make sure that you keep up your self-monitoring. Okay. So that means like, make sure that you are weighing yourself regularly. For instance, if we're not weighing ourselves regularly, we kids easy to miss the one pound, two pound, five pounds, 10 pounds, you know? So if we weigh ourselves on a regular basis, we can kind of start to see a pattern and we can take action. If we start to see that weight start to creep up. I mean, it's normal for us to have fluctuations in our weight on a daily basis. So that's fine. But if you're seeing a trend where the weight is just kind of slowly, gradually going up and up, then you need to take some type of action. 
Another thing is nutrition tracking. That's another way that we can self-monitor. So a lot of people do this, especially when they're in the beginning of their journey, they're tracking everything they're eating and drinking. And over time, a lot of times people kind of stop tracking, which is okay as long as your weight's staying in check and your health is staying in check. You don't necessarily have to monitor everything. But again, if you start to notice that that weight is starting to creep up, that would be a good time to say, okay, let me go back to monitoring my nutrition again for a while, because sometimes we can have what we call carb creep or calorie creep or fat creep, where these nutrients, we don't even notice that we're doing anything differently, but we start to see that these nutrients start to slowly creep up. And then another thing too, is with our physical activity, get a physical activity tracker, something that you can either put on your phone or something that you can wear on your wrist. So you can also kind of track your physical activity levels and that can help you stay accountable to yourself as well. And speaking of accountability, I think it's really important for people to stay engaged with some type of a program. So it can be either like a support group. It can even be an online support group. I know for a lot of people, if they move away from their surgical team or they no longer have access to their surgical team, they kind of lose that follow-up. So there's online support groups that are available as well. But I would definitely say you want to make sure that you're following up with either your surgical team or somebody else who is like an obesity specialist on a regular basis. So at least annually. And we know that at 18 months, only 10% of people are following up with their surgical team. At two years, it's only 2% of bariatric surgery patients that are following up with their surgical team. So you really should be following up at least annually. But if you start to notice your weight or your medical conditions starting to come back, then you need to go back more frequently. Not to interrupt you, but you kind of walked into kind of my next question there, which is who and when should we like contact to help with regain when we start to notice it become more significant outside of that normal, like five to 10 pounds. And I know you mentioned the care team, but maybe who else can we get involved here? Yeah. So there's your care team. And when I would say as soon as possible, if you're concerned, if you're starting to say, Hmm, okay, I feel like I'm struggling with this on my own. Don't hesitate. Don't let your fear of being embarrassed or don't be ashamed. It's like, again, to go back to the cancer example, if somebody had breast cancer and they underwent surgery and everything, and a year or two later, they find a lump in their other breast, are they going to be embarrassed to call their oncologist and follow up and say, oh, I'm noticing something here. I feel like I need some help with this. They wouldn't be, right? So we really need to start treating obesity just like any other medical condition. If you have concerns, you shouldn't be ashamed. This isn't about you. This is a complex medical condition. And there are people that can help you. So one, yes, your surgical care team may be able to help you, right? Another one is obesity medicine specialists, okay? They are specially trained in this disease state. And you can go to websites like Obesity Action org or like the obesity medicine association which is obesitymedicine.org and you can find providers so there's a provider search and you can click on that and find a provider in your zip code who is specially trained in obesity who can help you with this and there are medications for instance that we can use to help people 
prevent weight regain to begin with. So prevention is always better, right? So if we can prevent that weight regain, even better. But if you have had some weight regain, you know, medications can oftentimes be a very helpful tool. Studies have shown that in patients with bariatric surgery, those patients that were started on an anti-obesity medication after surgery actually ended up losing about six and a half percent more weight than those patients that didn't use the medication. And they can be great tools for people who experience that weight regain. That's something that I use very frequently. Of course, we want to work on the lifestyle components and we work on that as well. These medications and any tool, as you know, and bariatric surgery included, doesn't work without making the lifestyle changes, right? But sometimes we need additional tools to help us control our appetite so that we can actually stick to the nutrition plan that we want to follow. So that's definitely what I would say is reach out. And sometimes primary care providers or endocrinologists may have training in obesity medicine as well, but I will say it's not part of the standard medical training. So most healthcare providers probably have not had this education, which is why I would recommend if possible, seeking out somebody who's had training in obesity management. Yeah. Outside of my care team, one of the first people I reached out to was my dietitian. And I know you said you wanted to pick my brain a little bit, but the nice thing there was my dietitian evaluated macros for me and wanted me to get back to the basics of tracking and evaluating. So first it was just tracking the types of foods and then the macros. And then from there adjusting, that was kind of a big portion of starting the process of getting everything back down, which was was very helpful in that process. So, and then of course, physical activity was another part of it, making sure that I was doing the right kind of physical activity and getting that level back up to where it should be, so on and so forth. Obviously that was very tough with the pandemic at first because fitness centers were closed a lot. And of course, where I live, it's winter for a good chunk of the year. In fact, as we're recording this, I know it's not going to come out for about a month from now, but as we're recording this, there's a winter storm advisory and I'm supposed to get about three to six inches of wet, heavy snow tonight. So happy spring to us here at Fusion headquarters. But that was part of it for me, as well as I had severe reflux issues. And recently I had the Lynx procedure done as well as I had a hiatal hernia. So I had that fixed and that procedure done to control my reflux, which I now have almost total relief from my reflux, which is just absolutely amazing. But going through that procedure limited my food intake for a bit too, which also kind of sped up my weight loss there as well. So my regain was about 30 pounds in total. And since then, I've lost about 40 pounds. So I'm about 10 pounds back to the good here. But now I'm still at 100% of my weight loss, max weight loss from my sleeve procedure, which is just fantastic to me four years post-op. I imagine I'll see that five or 10 again here or there, but now I feel like I have more tools at my disposal. Yeah. And it's so important that we know ourselves and that we find out what tools work for us because what works for one person isn't necessarily what's going to work for the next person. And so I think it's so important, you know, we start with the lifestyle stuff. So whoever can help you with that, dietitians, exercise physiologists, obesity specialists, health coaches, whoever can help you with a lifestyle component, get that part and figure out, like you said, your macros and things like that. 
that's going to look different for different people. Some people can tolerate more carbohydrates and more fat than other people. So everybody's a little bit different. And the more that you can find out what works for you, the better, because you're always going to have those tools in your toolbox, if you will. And you can always go back to those. So sometimes, you know, life gets busy and we kind of fall off a little bit. But if we always can go back to like, I know that this strategy works for me, then we can always go back to that. So for some people, it might be meal replacements. or So try to really think back on your journey and say, what really helped you be successful? What works for you? Because it's very individualized. And once you have those tools and you know that about yourself, that can be really empowering. I would agree because everything is incredibly different per person. We have these guidelines out there, but ultimately everyone's body acts a little differently. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. That's one thing that the science has shown very clearly is there's so much variability in how each of us responds to different types of foods and even things like exercise and medications and surgery. I mean, we're all individuals and everybody responds a little bit differently. So it's really about being able to be introspective and finding what works for you. So is there ever a time where it's just too late? I would say it's never too late, right? I mean, definitely the earlier you can get back on track and the earlier you can stop that weight regain, the better. But, you know, it's never too late for anything. So the last thing you want to do is sit there and blame yourself and shame yourself and tell yourself that you did this to yourself. And that's the worst kind of spiral to get into. We have to recognize this is complex. It's different for everybody. Everybody has their own journey. And we don't want to look in the past and beat ourselves up about what we did. But what you can do is try to figure out what can I do right now? What can I do today? What can I do in my next meal? And just build on that and make sure that you get the support around you to help you be successful. This is not about willpower. This is about a lot of biology and just getting the right tools and the right support in place for you. And it's never too late. Now, Carly, I want to pivot a little bit here to the provider side of things before we wrap up today. I think you mentioned that like primary care your regular team that you reach out to outside of your surgical care team might not have that obesity training for obesity medicine, but how can providers get trained to deal with weight regain if they're looking to get more involved in this? Yeah. So I would say you can start out with just looking at what kind of obesity education your national organization or your state organization has that you're already a member of. I know memberships to various organizations can get expensive. So maybe start there and see if your national or state organization offers any education on obesity. But really, if you want to get more educated on it and really learn how to treat this, it's a very complex disease and you really can't learn it in one or two lectures. So my recommendation, my personal favorite is the Obesity Medicine Association. They're really the clinical leaders in obesity management. So you can do a lot of CME through there. For physicians, they can get board certified in obesity medicine through the American Board of Obesity Medicine. And organizations like the Obesity Medicine Association have great board review courses and you can get your CME through there. For PAs and NPs, The Obesity Medicine Organization also does offer a certificate of advanced education for NPs and PAs. So because we can't sit for the board exam, so we can't become board certified through the American Board of Obesity Medicine. That's physicians only. 
But this certificate of advanced education is the same CME requirements, the same amount of CME that's required as it is for the physicians to sit for the board exam. So that's available for NPs and PAs. But then also there are certificates in primary care, obesity management through AAPA for physician assistants and nurse practitioners. And then there's organizations like ACE, the American Academy of Clinical Endocrinology, and they have some great toolkits on their website as well. So there are numerous places where providers can get education on obesity management, but they really do have to seek it out. And my hope is that in the future, it will be part of our general medical training because it needs to be, but we're not there yet. So we're still working hard to get that into the curriculum. Yeah, progress is definitely being made. I know I constantly kind of like to bring up the example of just on the vitamin side of things. Years ago, when I first started like my bariatric journey, even ahead of my sleeve, I actually had the lap band prior to getting the sleeve. And at that time, I was still being recommended the Flintstones chewable vitamins. And that was prior to the ASMBS 2016 guidelines that came out. I believe the first set came out in 08, but it took a while for that to trickle through the obesity management practices across the country and be more widely accepted because practitioners had to get educated. So I think this education piece and continuing education piece for anyone in the practice, the field is incredibly important. So thank you for listing off those resources and thank you for everything you do in helping people manage their obesity. It really is that lifelong journey, if you will. It is. Yeah. And I would also say just one last thing for providers too. You know, I have a lot of providers who reach out to me who say, Carly, I want to learn more about obesity. Like where should I start? So for any providers, they can feel free to reach out to me They can email me. My email is carly, K-A-R-L-I at gaininghealth.com. Or if there's providers who have had some obesity education and they want to start creating, you know, an obesity program and they need some help figuring out how to actually put together a comprehensive program and how to get that started. I have a lot of resources that I've created through my company, Gaining Health. So it's gaininghealth.com to get some of those resources as well. So I want to make sure that I'm a resource for those providers as well who want to learn, who want to get involved in obesity management, because I feel like every provider should be doing this. Because if we think about all of the chronic diseases that we all treat every single day, over 80% of them are lifestyle related diseases and they all get better when you treat obesity. So I just, I'm so passionate that everybody should be helping patients manage their obesity if that's what the patient desires. And so just, I want to be whatever resource that I can be as well. Awesome. Well, I think this episode will be a great resource as well to our listeners. And I hope that we have you back on in the future on other topics. So we look forward to having you around. And again, thank you for helping us get to the very heart of it today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Yes. Thank you, Carly, so much. And this was very educational and I learned a lot. So thank you so much. And I miss you. (laughs) I miss you. Hope to see you soon. (laughs) 